You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. everyone welcome back to across the romaverse sean and steve here with you i know it's been about three weeks i think sean since we've last recorded i know things have been pretty quiet in the romaverse till recently so how have you been yeah i never thought we'd be dependent on your family members to to get this podcast surviving the summer but uh, <laughs> that's how it happened so far yeah um i i'm actually i'm enjoying your 2020 did we call it 220 or 221? i think you're still calling uh, it 220 Okay, I'm enjoying it more than I expected to, and uh, I've, I've really been checking off my checklist, the list of things that Steve was right about, because you're right about a ton of things, really, and we've got time to go through that this episode, but almost everything you called about this tournament has, has turned out to be exactly how, how it played out, so kudos to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. I mean, I, I know you weren't too excited about the Euros heading in. I was a bit more excited than you were. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I think it's been a very enjoyable tournament from what I've seen so far. I unfortunately didn't get to watch as much of the group stage as I would have liked, uh, being stateside. Many of the matches on while I was at work. Um, I'm a teacher, as I've mentioned before. So now I'm off. I got to enjoy the whole round of 16, watch o- almost all of that. So uh, now I'm more prepared to come on and discuss it. I don't think I would have been able to do such a great job about the, the group stage, but I'm glad we can discuss the round of 16 and, and looking forward here. Um, and you'll have to let me know what I was right about to see uh, what's checking oh, we, checked off got your time. list. We've got yeah. plenty of time for you to brag. <laughs> but uh, before we get into the Euro discussion, this is a Roma podcast, of course, so we will do uh, some quick Roma updates, some quick hits on the market. Uh, but before we hit the market, Sean, I think the biggest news of the week is the fact that Nicolo Zaniolo is back to full training, got cleared. Um, Dr. Fink or Professor Fink, whatever he goes by, uh, monitored his first training, everything went well, and, and he's good to go for Mourinho, who arrives in the capital uh, tomorrow, Friday, uh, February, um, February, I'm saying February, my goodness, I'm thinking back to the injury. Uh, July 2nd, uh, Mourinho yeah. will make his arrival from everything I've read with yeah. Zaniolo uh, in tow. Yeah, Zaniolo back just in time for preseason. That's that's what you want as a manager. You want your, your full squad available to you. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like that way on the transfer market. It's, business is uh, slow. So I don't know if he'll have uh, Mourinho, meaning uh, I don't know if he'll have everyone that he wants uh, as as his first team is in mind, ready for preseason training. But Nicolas Agnolo back, you certainly can't complain about that. I'm happy about that. Yeah. And I think the thing, too, that delays the market a little bit in, in summers like this, when you have an international tournament, I think we got to get through the next kind of week and a half or so to the final. And then I think things will move even more, depending on which players are still involved, of course, uh, 
Granite Xhaka, heavily linked with Roma, still involved with Switzerland. We'll get into to him a bit later because he had a match uh, of his life against France. So uh, yeah. maybe Roma expected them to be out sooner and maybe be able to finish that deal a bit sooner. But um, some big news, though, in the past couple of days, we've been seeing from all uh, intents and purposes, everything I've read, uh, Cengiz Under and Paul Lopez look like they're heading to Olympic Marseille, uh, which would be a huge move for Tiago Pinto to open the summer, even if they are on loan with uh, obligation to buy based on, uh, you know, how many appearances they make. Uh, that would be a huge to get the two of them off the roster early in the summer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it depends how it's done, though. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or in writing, but I was really, really hoping that Thiago Pinto would turn out to be like, yes, it's unpopular to say it, but turn out to be like Monchi or, Sa- or Walter Sabatini on the sell side. And that they can they they would prove themselves as able to get rid of players no matter how hard to sell whether it be Juan Bay or anyone else they you know they either sold at broke break even level or or at a slight profit even when even when that player was unwanted yeah so I was really hoping to see that from Thiago Pinto but I realize now it's it's a bit it's too harsh to judge him this summer because it's just such a slow market um, you know so many people are insolvent right now uh, cash isn't flowing around so. Uh, you know, if, if you can get uh, Lopez and Under off the books, uh, their wages off the books at least, then that's better than nothing. Um, but so far, what we're reading is that Paolo Lopez is uh, alone with option to buy, and uh, Under, I have no idea. So it, you know, we've seen these deals go through before, where yeah, the the player like spends a year elsewhere, and we don't even know if they're going to be used or not. I mean, Under just got back from a deal like that where yeah. he played what three games all season. So it's you know it's not ideal, but it's better than better than better than paying for players that you don't want at the club. Yeah, I mean, I think they're both linked to appearances from what I've read. I don't know if that's going to be the final deal. I think it was 15 mm. million for Lopez and 12 million for Under, or vice versa. Um, if if they do get locked in, uh, for Lopez, I'm fine with 15 million. My worry with Under is that he could still burst out um, and probably raise his value above 12. But I guess you know from Roma's standpoint, if you can get him off the books. And then rid yourself of him fully um, to at least break even. I guess they're kind of at that point where they just want to, cut, you know, cut ties. So maybe that's that's yeah. where they're looking, um, just to have un- that obligation. Under by, under by now, his break even is much less. Um, yeah, I, I haven't actually read any any numbers on him. Uh, I read 15 for Lopez one day, and then 12 for Lopez the next day. And 12 makes sense for next summer because that's what his rally will decrease mm-hmm. to in terms of break even. Um, but the thing about putting numbers like that on a loan deal is that you're explicitly telling the player you're not wanted. Yeah. You know, like we, we don't, yeah. and we don't even expect you to do well next year. We just want to get rid of you. you know, yeah. We're not, we're not putting a number on you where you'll do well next year and, and then we'll sell you a profit. We just want to get rid of you. So that, and that in itself is kind of final and that the player realizes that, you know, like in his mind, he's, he's extra wrong in the background. So it's really bad news if, if he turns up next summer, um, you know, back on the rubber deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been pushed out. So. Especially someone like Wunder, because I remember, I think he said early on in Turkey camp, like he was interviewed, oh, you know, I'm excited to play for Mourinho. And I saw that quote, I'm like, I don't, buddy, I don't think you're ever going to play for Mourinho <laughs> yeah. because you're not Mourinho. Yeah, you better settle down <laughs> because I don't think Mourinho wants you, 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 you know, being lazy, you know, loitering back on defense. Like you're not going to work hard enough for that. Maybe, maybe Clovert has a shot with his work rate, but I don't, I don't think Wunder ever did. Yeah. Um, but you see, like last last season, we put him out on the loan a loan option to buy for twenty five, right? Yeah. Um, and that was way above his break even. Yeah. So that that at least says that you still you hold him in high estimation, right? That you, you think know? he might come come good at some point. 
Yeah. But now it's a bit different. So. Yeah. Now it's desperation, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, also linked with a move away, which is no surprise, is Robin Olsen, who, again, I didn't watch much of Sweden outside of the extra time against Ukraine, but apparently he had a pretty good tournament. Again, no, no surprise. Apparently he comes to play for Sweden. Um, I saw some highlights and yeah, he did. He, he was, I think he was their best player in, in yeah. more than one match. So, and yeah. um, last I saw today, he was linked with uh, West Ham on a move away by football, football Italia. They didn't have a source in there or what kind of move it would be. Uh, but he was yeah. linked with, with uh, West Ham. If he, if we can get him to go there, you know, whether it's a loan or a buy at this point, I think anything to get his salary off the books for the season and get the roster spot cleared is probably ideal. Uh, I saw Lil and Real Sociedad also mentioned as other options. We'll see what comes of Olsen. I, I was surprised by his comments to the press too, because this week he said he had a good time in Rome. Mm. He had a good year and he enjoyed his year. Yeah. It certainly didn't look like that on the pitch with him losing his no. temper and all that. Yeah. So <laughs> Maybe, he, he yeah. seemed like he was quite receptive to coming back to Rome. Or they say uh, hindsight yeah. is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was happy in Rome, wasn't yeah. I? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a pleasant place to be, I guess, when you get loaned out to, no no offense to Liverpool, I think the weather's a little bit nicer in Rome rather than being Merseyside hey, I, with Everton. I, I, I would love to spend a year in Cagliari, though, like he did. Yeah, that's true. Also, Cagliari, another nice place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of the goalie front, uh, I know Rui Patricio has been heavily linked. I think it was about a 10 million uh, euro deal to go through. But uh, this morning with Il Romanista, I saw now that Atalanta is apparently landing Juan Musso, the guy we wanted in Rome. I mean, Atalanta is making the move for the one of the best goalies in Serie A. So, you know, it shows how the, the tide has changed in Serie A, how Atalanta is now certainly a major player, not only in the table, but also on the market a bit. Um, so that makes... No, that's, what, that's what Champions League football does for you. Yeah, especially when you've already had a pretty bounced book to begin with. That's the difference, I think, with Atalanta. They, they've been financially stable because they've had to be for so long. Then now yep. it's like, we've got this extra money. We can actually spend it and, and get quality players. And I think Musa was linked for about $20 million, which is not a terrible deal for a goalie of his caliber. Um, but the, the domino effect is Pierluigi Golini becomes available if that happens. Uh, apparently Golini, even though he was rated pretty highly by Atalanta at the time, had a falling out with um Gasparini from what I read and now he could be an option for Roma rather than Patricio they said uh would, would you prefer a goalie of Golini's caliber or would you be happy with a veteran shot stopper like Patricio I've always liked Golini but we don't necessarily need someone like him with the style of footwork we're set to play next year he's more like uh like he was earning his his bread so to speak by being that adventurous keeper that will yeah. know, that sweeper keeper will come mm -hmm. out you know and uh, some of the stats even said that he wasn't even that good at it, but I, I disagreed with them. Um, I think that's one of those, one of, still those, those goalkeeping stats. I mean, like someone like Brendan was keepers more than me, so I don't argue. But when it comes to the goalkeeper stats themselves and how they rank keepers, I don't, I still, it still doesn't really, two and two doesn't make four in my head. Um, yeah. I, I, I have a high opinion of Galini, but, um, you know, he's, he's not the finished product. Uh, and I don't think that that's what Mourinho specifically is looking for he prefers experience and and people who are uh, very sure of themselves and where they are in their careers and Galini's still the very much a raw uh keeper for where he is right now yeah uh, he's definitely one of those guys if if you could get him he definitely has some room to grow still I mean he's he's been highly rated through his career I know he was in the United setup early on uh mm -hmm. he's played Champions League football with with uh, Atalanta born in 95. So he's still a young keeper, you know, he's 26 years old. He's kind of growing into his, his prime. So, I mean, it could be an option. I know, I think I saw 15 million euros. So 5 million more than 
a guy like Patricio, who's on the tail end of his career. So it might be an intriguing move if uh, Rome were to make it. Um, otherwise, I think Patricio, I mean, I watched the Portugal-Belgium match. The one goal he gave up was, you know, a spectacular hit by Torgan Hazard. So, um, you know. Well, a lot of people said that it was actually his fault. Um, mm. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. But we, we've got time to talk about it later on. But yeah. that, for me, the way that he conceded that was exactly how Bren was warning us he concedes goals. Mm. So that was like setting off a little bit of an alarm bell in my head. Uh, yeah. But we'll probably get into it later on. Okay. So definitely something for, for you to break down for us later when we get to that match. Um, a couple other things. Um, Rome has been linked with Philip Kostic of... Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, he played 30 matches last season in the Bundesliga. Four, 14 assists was the big number for him. Four goals, but 14 assists out on the wing. Um, and from what I've read, if Roma is able to rid themselves of Under or Kloiver, the move would be, you know, a green light for Pinto to make that apparently Mourinho wants him. A guy who could dish that many assists if Roma has a, a new striker, which we expect them to have, that could be, uh, seems like a coup. If I've it's never the seen right him play, so I, I don't want to lie to you. you know, yeah. I, I, I really don't know who he is. I, I haven't seen him play either. I'm just looking at the numbers. I think 14 assists is pretty pretty impressive. But like you said, we haven't seen him play. Um, a couple of years ago in the Europa League, it looks like 15 matches, five goals. So it seems like he's got a, you know, a, a decent way about him of either setting up goals or scoring goals. So interesting, yeah. 28 years old in the prime of his career. Um, so it's rather than taking a risk on a young winger, like we've seen Roma do with Kloiver, Under, and others through the years, would be another option for Mourinho if the, the deal goes through. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably a 4-2-3-1. You know, you're going to have Zanioli, you're going to have Mkhitaryan. Um, be interesting to see what happens with Carlos Perez if they make a move for another winger. Because I think if Kloiver comes back, I think maybe Perez goes somewhere on, on loan too. But I haven't heard anything really mentioned of him, have you? Yeah, I, I read, I don't know how true this is, but I read he, he was pushing to go back to Barcelona mm. and both uh, Ronald Koeman and uh, who else was it? Um, someone else at the club rejected the idea. So he's he's essentially unwanted, like persona non grata at Barcelona, if you believe mm. the Italian press. Um, so I, I don't know what, what if he has too many options left, uh, whether he wants to take a drop down so to speak, to like mid-table La Liga club or yeah. drop down to like a Palmer or someone. Well, Palmer just got relegated this year, so it's not going to happen with them. But uh, mid-table City Art club, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then we mentioned Jock a little bit earlier. Uh, last I saw, Bar- uh, not Barcelona, Arsenal had rejected Roma's 15 million euro approach the last I saw, but it seems like they're still working on that deal. It seems like that one's bound to happen. The player wants the move. He wants to play for Mourinho. He already... I saw in the post-match presser with uh, Switzerland, he dropped a hint saying it was nice to play in Rome. Uh, he liked the Italian roads or he called someone to ask how the roads were in Italy, like hinting like he wants to bring his nice cars <laughs> to Italy or something. Um, so I expect that one to happen. Now, Switzerland's still in, in the Euros, um, like we mentioned, a little longer than maybe other people expected. So I'm sure that that will work itself out. Would, would you be surprised if that doesn't work itself out? Well, if you believe the worst case scenario is that Jack has now played so well mm. that Juventus and PSG and Inter Milan are in for him as well. Yeah. So now, now it's making it seem like Roma are running out of time to make the yeah. offer that Arsenal wants. You know, um, I expect the move will happen, and uh, I feel better about it after his performance against France. But that's one game we'll talk about later on. Yeah. Uh, another move I saw, I think it was yesterday or the day before, in Corriere dello Sport, they're you know talking about a Jeco exit, um, possibly to Juve with uh, swap with Frabota, the left back, to be the the backup left back to uh, Spinazzola. 
names like Demiral and Bernadeschi were mentioned, but uh, neither of those seems feasible based on price. The Jekko Frabota swap would be kind of a plusful lens for both sides. I don't know how true that is, um, but you know that's obviously contingent. Roma having a striker lined up because um, mm. Jekko's time is probably up. I mean, if it clears okay. Jekko's salary, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Frabota is a decent enough player to back up. Spinozola looks like. Yeah, I I don't have too many feelings on Sarbota. I've seen him play. He's, he seems decent. Um, he had the trust of uh, Pirlo when he was at the mm-hmm. club, so you know he's, he's played some games. But um, I, I still feel like Roma could go with four, uh, two up front next year. Not in every game, but um, I think that's that's really the move to go to if you want to save money. Because I feel like uh, right by now, complete forwards and like you know guys who can play in between the lines, like the Harry Kane's of the world. Um, every club wants them. Like every every new coach who's who doesn't want to do their homework wants a, a forward like that um, to, to go into the mainstream. Uh, inside forwards who can cut it on their foot. Every coach wants them. So you know that that drives the price up on them too. Um, I feel like guys like Boya Meral who get disrespected and get overlooked yet still come up with the goods. You know th- those are the guys you can get on cheap. And yeah. you know, they may not be the best strikers in the world, but if you can play two of them up front, then you get more danger and you get more. Like we talked about last season. You get more pressing from the front as well, so you actually compact your defense from the front too. Um, I, I know that Mourinho, you know, you, you mentioned it before, and you're right. Mourinho hasn't played four four two or or two up front in, in like in ever. But uh, I feel like if you're really going for like beating the odds and and cost saving measures and and surprising people, I feel like two up front is the way to go. Not just for Roma, but for clubs in general who want to save money right now. Yeah, and. I'm just going to bring it up because we're on the, the Roma striker front, but Andrea Bellotti in extra time for Italy, the way he worked, the way he hustled back, mm-hmm. he had one beautiful tackle. I forget who it was on um, from Austria, know, but it was, it was immediately after he lost the ball and he yeah, tried back and yeah, yeah that's like, and just that yeah. work rate, he drew like five fouls in the, in the short time he was on the pitch. I, I mean, yeah. Mourinho would, would, would have to be thinking, man, I love this guy, you know, up front for me because not only does yeah. he score goals, but he, he works. Uh, we've talked he about does, that. Yeah. With Torino matches rumored in the to past. Be, rumored to be a uh, $34 million price tag. Yeah. steeper. Yeah. That, that's going to be the stumbling block. I think Rome's going to have to try to whittle that down, maybe get the will of the player if he is willing to come to Rome to try to help in that sense, I think, because Cairo is going to be a pain to, to, to deal with. Um, and, you know, he's already got a grudge against Roma from the Petrarchy fallout. So um, yeah. hopefully with the new ownership, they could, um, you know, smooth it over a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Another name I saw, Amadou Diawara, apparently not open to any proposals that were uh, thrown his way so far. So we'll see where that goes because he seems like a man on his way out. Um, and then I saw recently Paulo Fonseca connected to Fenerbahce after the Tottenham deal fell through uh, for Gattuso, which also fell through. So uh, hopefully Fonseca <laughs> finds a home. I kind of wanted to see him, what he would do in Tottenham because I thought you know, he could have done okay in the Premier League, uh, but yeah. things just didn't work out over there. There's Paratici, again, just yeah. spectacularly causing a mess at another club you know by doing all this stuff um first he wants to hire fonseca then he finds out gattuso's free yeah uh, hangs up on fonseca and then he can't <laughs> hire gattuso because of his history it's just a mess um, and, and yeah. to me i take fonseca over gattuso any day with a team the quality so of, of spurs you know they don't need so much the grinta of the gattusos of the world i don't think i think they need someone who can get them playing some nice open football depending on the Kane situation obviously but they still have plenty of good players there yeah, it's 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 reportedly said that uh, Paratici wanted Gattuso uh, as Juve manager last year over Pirlo, so mm. he's apparently he's rated him for a long time. Yeah, he feels differently about football than the yeah. rest of us. 
interesting because Gattuso hasn't really worked out anywhere he's been for you know a big success yet. So that's an interesting uh, that's true. idea. But I, I've seen some good games from him though. Wes. I feel yeah. like his, his teams are organized, but you're right. He hasn't hasn't like hasn't done spectacularly. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, and then just this is kind of Roma of the past. Just quick mention uh, in case anybody hasn't seen yet. Um, Kevin Strutman on his way to Cagliari. It'll be a you know reuniting with uh, Rajanan Golan. So if anybody wants a little nostalgia feel this this year, this season, <laughs> tune into a Cagliari match or two. Maybe you could re- relive the the good old days, so to speak, for Roma. Um, and then Sean, I'm gonna throw it over to you for a little bit of the femminile you know market action, and then you can let us fill us in on the uh, youth teams who have done pretty well. Yeah, with the Roma woman, we were expecting a big week this week and haven't disappointed because we know that the contracts of almost every player in the league gets handed over from the end of July to sorry end of June to first of July. Um, so we were expecting more news today, but we they didn't disappoint in terms of the news that did break. Roma signing Taisa Taisa Moreno, the Brazilian veteran midfielder who did so well at the last World Cup 2019, uh, even though. In, in perspective of Brazil doing not so well. She was still one of their standout performers. She's played at AC Milan in the 2018-19 season. She's been a former teammate of current Roma midfielder and playmaker Manuela Giuliano, as well as being an international teammate of Roma playmaker Andressa. So hopefully she is the magic third ingredient to finally make this, this star Roma midfield click next year and go up the table. They've won the Coppa Italia this year, but they want to be doing the better in the league. Taisa is rumored to be imminent, imminently signing for Roma. She's done her medical today, according to Voce Gialarossa. And uh, Roma, rumored to be signing Valeria Pirone, the Sassuolo striker, who's 32, already played for RES Roma, what Roma used to be called before they became AS Roma, uh, now nearly just under a decade ago. So she's returning to a former club. And then we're still waiting for that Benedetta Iona. Uh, and yes, Bonfantini player swap between Roma and Juventus. We don't know if, that, if that's happening or not. It's gone very quiet, actually, on that mm. front. So maybe Bonfantini is pushing to stay. Who knows? Uh, meanwhile, in the exit door are rumored to be Andrean Hegerberg, who's still coming off an ACL injury. Never really made it click in midfield with Andres and Giuliano, like we just discussed. So Tice is meant to be her replacement. Kaya Erzin at right back is on, on her way out to Napoli. And Lindsay Tomac, shocking, shocking loss. Uh, she's walking out to go to AC Milan, rumoured, reported. Um, apparently the, the lure of Champions League football next season is too hard to resist. And then Maria Banasic, who's only been at the club for six months. Uh, the striker is already rumoured to be on her way out, uh, going to Pastures New. She actually scored an amazing overhead kick this season, but that's about it. Uh, she stayed long enough to pick up a winner's medal in the Coppa Italia, and she's off again. Uh, meanwhile, the trophy wins did not end for AS Roma as a sporting association. Where on the men's youth level, we know that they made three finals this week. If you are reading on chiesidetotti.com, we reported on all of them, except for the finals they lost, of course. We don't bother to write those. Um, <laughs> the Roma Primavera, actually, sorry, Roma Primavera did not make the final. They exited at the playoff qualifiers. So they didn't even make the final four. Um, they did make the playoffs, but they, they went out immediately to Atalanta Primavera. And what a goal it was uh, by Cortinovis. My gosh, this this kid from Atalanta is rumored to be the, the next big youth signing that United are going to make from Atalanta's uh, youth levels. And if you saw this goal that he scored to dump Roma out the playoffs, you would understand why. Really was a perfect goal at any level of football. 
And the Roma under-18s, they made their Scudetto final um, and they lost to Genoa under-18s on Monday this week. Uh, it was disappointing because they, they actually had a penalty to take the lead, but they didn't. They missed that. And uh, they awarded they another penalty that they, they scored. But immediately after scoring that and drawing level at 1-1, they conceded a minute later and lost that final to Genoa. But Roma had their revenge just the day after. In the Tuesday's under-17 final, Roma once again, under-17 versus Genoa under-17. The two clubs head off, and Roma won this final handsomely. Under-17 Scudetto champions once again. The last time they won this title at this level was in 2018. Uh, they went off to, to fight the for the Alcas Cup in Europe the next season, and they lost the Alcas Cup final uh, in the winter of 2019 on penalties to Glasgow Rangers. So hopefully they'll go one better next season. Um, in Europe, but they are the reigning Scudetto champions right now at under-17 level. So that's that's what that's three titles in all for AS Roma this season in all categories. Um, not too bad, not too bad at all. Yeah, not too shabby. Um, you know, we're still waiting for the men's senior side to to win us a trophy. It's been a while, but <laughs> encouraging signs though. I mean, to have the women's yeah. team win the the Copa and then some of the youth teams coming good. So it's always yeah. good to win trophies. I actually stopped myself from being cynical earlier when you were talking about the good old days between Nangalang and Stupman because <laughs> we I know win. we remember them fondly, but still zero titles. Yeah, right? I th and I think time. the most uh, the most nostalgic part of that obviously was the Champions League run because yeah. they're right, they didn't win anything. Those teams were good though. I mean, it was just powerhouse Juve yeah. got in the way. You know, in most other years, that team wins a trophy. You know, it's yeah, it, it's the frustrating yeah. part. They were tough and they and they fought for everything. Yeah, so that was enjoyable to watch. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's what endeared them so much to us. Those sides. Um, okay. So we'll get into the Euro round of sixteen. We'll take a quick commercial break here and then we'll get into it. All right, welcome back. Uh, so now Sean and I, after the Rome updates, are going to get into the Euro round of sixteen. And you know, we, I just want to mention Sean. We mentioned Atalanta earlier uh, because the first team we're going to get into is Denmark, and there's an Atalanta player who scored in that match. Adelanta, their players are making names for themselves here in the Euros. I, mean, I think Robin Gosens has kind of brought himself to to the spotlight across Europe, despite Germany's exit. Uh, we know that, you know, some of the other guys involved with Italy, Piscina, and, you know, in this match, Denmark, 4 nothing over Wales was the first match of the round of 16 uh, back on Saturday. And the Danes really took it to the Welsh. I mean, Denmark only got out of their group with three points. Uh, it was not the strongest group. It was the group with Belgium. Uh, they came out second best, you know, behind, ahead of Finland and Russia, all on three points. They ended up getting through on the tie break. And, you know, they played some pretty good football in that group. But, man, 4 nothing over Wales. I didn't get to see much of this match. I saw some of the goals. But I, I referenced Atalanta because um, I, I think you pronounced his last name, Mail, uh, scored the third goal. Yeah. Sean, you I, saw I most of this one, it. too. You can kind of fill us in what you saw. I heard, I heard it pronounced as Mela, so between Mela. us, we're going we're gonna to butcher his name either way. Yeah, maybe I'm <laughs> wrong where we are. But um, yeah, they signed him in back in January, right? And probably yeah. something ridiculous, like a million or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so he's, yeah, he's definitely one of the most impressive fullbacks of, of this tournament, or wide men of this tournament. Can, yeah. can, has played on left and right. He did it both in that game. First half left, left side, second half right side, um, and looks equally dangerous on either flank. Um, I saw most of this game and Denmark are very, very impressive and very intimidating to play against because the, the, the energy they put into the match was just like, it's, it's like Italy, really. Like they chase down everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you don't come ready to, to, you know, to come straight out the blocks, then Denmark are going to flatten you. And that's exactly what they did with Wales. 
Um, obviously, we, I, I'm more than understanding of why Denmark finished third in their group because they had that first game, which was very, very difficult to even finish, let alone um, not lose, which they, they did on the day. So, yeah, it's probably good that they, they got through in the, in the end. Um, and they, they've, they're more than showing that they're, they're good for it because they're, they're, they're not just winning games, but they're actually playing very, very entertaining football. Yeah, and I predict predicted them second in the group, so I'm not surprised they finished second in the group. And, and we knew they had some quality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, they're probably their most quality player, Christian Eriksen. We all know what happened with him. Luckily, he's you know alive and well. Um, you know, not to you know understate what happened to him, but in, in some ways, I wonder if that kind of buoyed the squad's spirits once they saw he was okay. He's you know he got through it. Um, you know, it's kind of like let's play for Christian at this point. I think too, yeah. which sometimes those freak things can. Um, as as disheartening as it is at the beginning can then you know kind of inspire a team so to speak i think yeah uh they they, they're bringing out that giant like um you know life-sized erickson jersey before every match yeah there's no there's no question that they're playing with him in mind yeah um uh, did you see uh speaking of atlanta players what about ex-atlanta striker cornelius did you see him against wales I, I did not. I was gonna I was gonna mention actually. I was just looking down the roster of who played against Wales. I was gonna say there's four or five names. I mean, he was with Parma this past season. Don't you can't forget Simon Kier, ex Roma, and now with Milan. Uh, you know, um, Strigger Larson. Yeah, Strigger Larson at Udinese right now. Mela we mentioned, uh, and then you also have Damsgaard, who's at Sampdoria right now. So a, a yeah. fairly uh, heavy Serie A lineup for a, a Nordic side. So yeah. uh, impressive. Cornelius was stunning. I mean, he's not a starting striker. Their striker starter is a brass weight, I think. Um, but and he's been good as well. But Cornelius came off the bench against Wales and literally like ran through them. Like it, mm. it, it was just it was spectacular to see. Like people commented it afterwards and in the post match, he was running through them and they would try and tackle him and you'd literally see like three Wales players that were bounce <laughs> off his body. And it was just and he did it twice as well. It wasn't just one time. Like he did it five minutes later as well. And uh, the commentator even said, like, Cordinas came today to be a wrecking ball. Yeah. It was really like that, you know? Yeah, he's a big boy. And it's funny because when uh, I listen to Serie A sit down sometimes, and when he would score a goal for Parma this year, when they would do the goal rundowns, uh, they would actually play, because of Don Cornelius, they would play the Soul Train music every time he scored. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. They loved it just because of his name. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, impressive from Denmark. We'll get into them when we talk about their next opponent, because they have a very good chance now of making semifinals the way this this bracket has played itself out. Um, yeah. So we'll get back into Denmark when we t- preview the next round. Uh, the next match on Saturday afternoon, at least afternoon, my time, nighttime over in your, your side of the, the pond over there in um, you know, England was Italy and Austria. I felt very good about Italy after the, the group stage. I mean, first ever team to go unbeaten without conceding a goal. Italy yeah. had just, uh, you know, broken or they were close to breaking their clean sheet record um, their undefeated streak record. Uh, they had leveled it heading in after the group stage. I mean, they ran through the group stage. Uh, yeah. Did you get to watch all their matches in the group stage? I I missed the la- the, the last group stage match. Um, I think I, I missed half of the second one. So no, I, I saw literally half of their group stage. Yeah, but they were impressive. You know, compared to Italy's of the past, where they they score a goal or two and then kind of just sit back and, and wait out the match. You know, they went three nothing in the first two matches. First time Italy had ever scored three goals in a Euro Cup match. And, yeah. you know, Austria, decent side. But I don't know if anybody expected them to give Italy the game that they gave them. Uh, credit to Austria, because you you and I mentioned before we came on, they were aggressive. Um, yeah. And they didn't back down from Italy. 
you know, they scored six points out of a, a fairly decent group, Netherlands, Ukraine, and North Macedonia, you know, North Macedonia being the walkover kind of side. Um, but, you know, lost to the Netherlands expected, beat Ukraine in pretty much the third group stage match was turned into a de facto playoff. Um, but they, you know, made Italy worry for a long time. And if it wasn't for that offside goal, which was correctly called offside in the second half um, mm-hmm. that Arnautovic scored, we'd be talking about Italy out of this tournament right now. Yeah. Are we, are we going into this match right now? Or are we going we to could talk about the match. We could talk more about Italy later, but definitely the match we could talk a little bit about. Okay. Because, um, I mean, on the list of things that you were right about, this, this game, well, first of all, you're right about Denmark qualifying, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this game, I felt like a couple of things you mentioned were completely spot on. And maybe I'm going to come off as like the negative guy by saying this, but I felt like after this match, it was very obvious to me, personally, as someone who hasn't watched Italy before this tournament, that Italy do lack quality in their starting eleven, and that credit should be given to Roberto Mancini for putting in a style of football where that lack of quality doesn't really show itself in most games. Mm-hmm. But in this game, it was evident, at least on at least on the physical side and and also the technical side, because like you said, Austria uh, they hung tough. Um, I saw them come out strong in the first fifteen, and uh, we spoke about this off air. I was I was like looking at the first fifteen minutes. And asking myself, okay, are Austria really this good, or are Italy just playing possum? And uh, finally, like 15 minutes in, Italy try and uh, you know shift it up a gear or two. I thought, okay, cool, like Italy are just playing possum. But as soon as they tried to do that, you know, they they tried to press Austria on the ball. Uh, I saw Grilich, the Austrian midfielder, and uh, Sabitzer and whoever. Like they just they stood tough. Like they they just held firm, shielded the ball kept moving up through Italy, um, you know, playing counters right through Italy's midfield or, or down the flank sometimes, as you will. And uh, it was just, you know, that was the first moment where I thought, okay, you know what, this Italy first 11 isn't really that strong because, like, they they, they ended up at sixes and sevens trying to intimidate Austria, and it wasn't mm-hmm. working. It, was like, yeah. it ended up being, like, pressing all over the place and not really organised. Um, and the more the match went on, the more you had a sense that Austria were going to take the lead, and they almost did with that offside yeah. goal, but it was correctly ruled offside. And then in the end, it just turned out that Italy had a deeper squad. You know, the, the substitutions changed everything. But um, but had it been a 90-minute game, uh, I wouldn't fancy Italy to go through because Austria were just stronger physically and uh, really exposed uh, Italy's lack of composure on the ball. Like, Italy didn't really know how to play it around them once, once they started to get um not to not have their way in that match they don't have yeah. that that calm and possession that i expected of them so yeah i, I give i give credit to roberto mancini for, for getting this far yeah and uh speaking about the the physicality difference uh in terms of tackles one uh that italy was out tackled 33 18 by austria so that speaks to that with the high press and the tackling and, and really making italy uncomfortable i thought austria was really emboldened by the fact that you know, they were good the first 15 that Italy started to build into the match. It looked like Italy was going to find a goal before halftime. Ciro Immobile had that yeah. lovely shot that hit the almost the, the corner of the post uh, very yeah. close. It was like two or three inches to the right, and it's a goal, and then probably changes the whole match. But uh, it didn't, and I think Austria grew off of that. They're like, you know what? We're at halftime 0-0. Our pressing is working pretty well, and they went yeah. after Italy. And one thing that really, I think, got exposed. And I think if it was a better striker, a more pacey striker than Arnautovic, uh, Bonucci would have been in trouble a couple times. I agree. I thought Bonucci was poor. Um, I I felt like the one thing Austria missing this tournament, why why I still expected Italy to win the second half was because they have no front line. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, Arnautovic did some interesting things, but he didn't really have any chemistry to anyone. And they, yeah. they didn't really create any danger up front. So yeah. uh, the, the guy who came on, Kalajic, I think his name is, yeah, uh, who wrote my link with, you know, he changed he changed a lot. Had he had he started, I don't know if he had 90 minutes of his legs, but had he started and Austria played that long ball game to him as a target man, I think it would have been a different game, maybe just a 90-minute game. And yeah. we wouldn't have liked the result. But I agree with you, Austria had no front line. Yeah. Yeah, and I, w- I was fully prepared to be disappointed by Italy uh, because, you know, I was riding pretty high after the group stage. I think many Azuri fans were. Some people are starting to call Italy one of the favorites of the tournament after that. Mm. You know, obviously the group wasn't the strongest. It looks a little bit better now that Switzerland played so well against France, but going into the round of 16, it, it didn't look like they beat the best teams in the tournament. Um, yeah. And it felt like we were going to be disappointed as, as Azuri fans because – you kind of get hyped up. You're like, wow, we're beating, beating the hell out of teams the first couple yeah, group yeah. stage matches. And then all of a sudden it's like a gut punch when uh, Arnautovic <laughs> scored, you know? And then you're like, oh, thank God he was off. It was a right call. He was offside. But, you know, 10, right, yeah. 10 years ago, uh, that's probably a one nothing game before VAR because I don't think that gets called offside. Um, Maybe. No. And then I don't, he mentioned, I don't know if that if that call really stands up against a, a traditional big team like Italy. I think probably maybe gets called offside anyway. But... Um, there, there are still some commentators here, at, you know, on the BBC in this country, who, who fancy Italy as favourites. So mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not just Azuri fans alone who who believe in it. I think that that speaks to the spirit with which Italy have approached the tournament. Yeah, that they've they've come in so intense that people reckon they, they always have a shot. And yeah, that's fair enough. And I think this Italy is better than any Italy we've probably seen in the last decade or so. You know, I mean, our, Conte's team made the quarterfinals the last Euros, but that was a lot of Conte and hard work uh, from a group that wasn't the most talented group. Uh, so I think talent wise, this is one of the better Italy groups we've seen in a while. Um, mm. Not their best match, but like you mentioned, I think it was depth that won out that won the day. Uh, Federico Chiesa, Mate- Matteo Pessina, uh, crucial off the bench. Andre Bellotti didn't score off the bench, but he worked his tail off in the, the extra time. Once Italy had the lead. Um, we'll get into Spinazzola later be- because I want to talk more in depth about him as we run through these matches. But um yeah. Some individual quality wanted out, I, and Chiesa is a big part of them. We'll, we're going to talk a little bit about Chiesa a little later, but Italy ended up winning 2-1. Um, Donnarumma has been mostly a spectator for most of the tournament, but he made a big save in extra time up 2-0 that yeah. at the moment maybe didn't seem like a big deal because Italy was up 2-0, but guess what? They gave him a goal, and uh, it, it ended up being crucial to avoid penalty kick. So yeah. um, I, I just I always feel like it must be so demoralizing for opponents to face uh, – Donnarumma's team because like you, yeah. you gotta, first of all work so hard to get shots on his goal and then you've actually got to get the shot past him yeah he's you know? huge when you look at him he's a, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a huge guy yeah but not, not just huge but agile as well so yeah. like, if you, you try and like put it down to the side he'll get down there and you're like how the hell do I beat this guy yeah you know? do you find it as ironic as me that we had Gigi Buffon and now we have Gigi Donnarumma probably for the next 20 years yeah. it's like 40 years yeah. of Gigi's in goal <laughs> world class yeah. goalies Apparently they're calling him Gigio to, to differentiate. Yeah, to differentiate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, 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 I'm wondering now, and we'll see tomorrow because Italy plays tomorrow against uh, Belgium, if this is going to be one of those things, like is it a sign of things to come for Italy going into next match where they play a better quality team and it could really hurt them? Or maybe is this a learning experience for – I know Italy's not the youngest side because I, I mentioned it to somebody they were a young side and they were like, well, you know, Chiellini, Bonucci. I was like, yeah, but like experience-wise – when you look at the roster, there's not a lot of international experience in the team outside of that, like Juve backline members and a couple other players like Verratti and Jorginho. Even Jorginho didn't get a lot of uh, run with Ventura. So overall, the experience level is low, especially the tournament experience level. So 
Uh, this could be like one of those learning experiences, I think, for this team, or it could be like a sign of things to come. And then Belgium, maybe Lukaku makes them pay where Onatovic didn't. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't fancy them. I, I'm sure people will say I'm being negative and, and I'll get, you know, all this blowback. Maybe I'm asking for it, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I would have fancied them more against Portugal than Belgium because Agreed. Portugal would have been, yeah, they would have been so negative and, and Italy would have come in and, and you could have seen them build up the momentum throughout the match and yeah. really take the result. Whereas and, uh, the individual quality of Belgium, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I agree. I was hoping for Portugal, even though I don't really care for, for Portugal. Uh, yeah. I, as a team, I, I, I think they would have been a better matchup for Italy. Uh, yeah. Moving along, because we'll get back into Italy. Uh, Czech Republic, 2 nothings over two nothing over the Dutch. Huge win. Uh, our yeah. old friend Patrick Schick continues to score goals for the, for the Czechs. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not that surprised that the Czechs beat the Dutch because I thought the Dutch have some holes. We mentioned it in our preview episode. I know we both like the Dutch as like a, a, a team to root for. That's not our favorite team. Yeah. But when you're playing Memphis Depay and he's a decent player up at up top as your striker, I think you have some holes in your squad. I, I, I thought he deserved better than being played with a bat to goal for, for most of the match. Yeah. Um, he, uh, there was the first game against Ukraine in the group stage. He was amazing because well, the whole team was amazing because first he started out in the middle and then he shifted out to the left. And you could see they were so worried about him that um, Ukraine actually shifted everyone out to the left. So that, that emptied the middle for all the other Dutch players mm-hmm. to run into there. I thought, okay, do that. But at least like the pies facing goal, you know, where he's most dangerous, but seeing him play against Czech Republic and even in the latter group stages as like the, the kind of target man with his back to yeah. goal, like holding up play. That's just a waste of a player for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not that's not really his role. I feel like uh, to be that target player, yeah. more of a second striker, winger, get out, the, you know, kind of set up maybe in a different setup, he'd be more effective. But uh, yeah. the Dutch were let down in the second half when Matthias Delict uh, took a red card for being the last man back and getting a handball. Uh, at that point, it was 0-0. It was a 55th minute. I, I was actually listening to a lot of this uh, match on series as I was running errands on uh, Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. but it sounded like they were getting the, the match taken to him even before the red card a bit. They were, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this is one thing that I was right about when I said the Dutch play quote unquote stupid football. Um, I, you know, I really wanted them not to, <laughs> but <laughs> it, <laughs> they came into the knockout form, uh, format and they played exactly what you don't do in knockout football. Yeah, they, they played the pie deep. They played overly elaborate build-up play around the final third. When you're you're just thinking, look. You guys are just so good. Just run through on goal and just smack it, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead, that's what Czech Republic did. They just launched the ball forward, played direct football, vertical football, and just smacked it. And mm-hmm. if you do that enough times, you're going to score goals. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. And it's just a typical Netherlands uh, loss. You know, if they don't lose on penalties in the summer tournament, they, they lose like this, which is <laughs> they just, you know, they, they just, they, they overthink it and they try and play it too fancy and they just get done by a more direct team. Um, Delict is exactly what, uh, his performance was what you're talking about with lack of experience at the back. You know, mm-hmm. it was more like um, he just panicked. He, he slipped and then he panicked and just tried to handle the ball. Um, I, I know it was Gary Neville, on, I think it was on the BBC, who said here that you know, a more experienced defender in his late 20s or 30s wouldn't do that. They would just, they would slip and they would accept the mistake, let the guy run through on goal and score because then you know you've got a chance to come back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this was Delict just trying to do everything by himself and unfortunately just ended up making it worse unfortunately 
And uh, a couple of funny memes came out of that, though, because, you know, Juve's reputation in, in Serie A with the handballs and getting away with things. Uh, I saw some memes of him, <laughs> like, uh, someone tell Delict that this wasn't a Serie A match with Juve or something. Because yeah. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like that about Kuliszewski uh, in the Sweden match when he went down easily for a penalty and yeah. the ref just wasn't having it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but, and then, like we mentioned, Schick scored the second goal uh, that, that put away the Dutch. Four goals in four matches, I believe, correct? For Schick? I, I believe you if you tell me that. Yeah, yeah I believe it's four and four. So, um, Golden ball Schick. Yeah. Patrick Schick. Yeah, here it is. Four, four goals in four matches. Uh, second behind Ronaldo's five right now. Ronaldo, of course, is out of the tournament. So uh, he's in the running. All the guys he's tied with on four are also out of the tournament. Forsberg from Sweden and Benzema from France. So he's got a, he's got a crack at it. Yeah, um, I, I think it would be good if he won it just because he deserves some happiness you know yeah I, but i i still see him do very bad things in, in the middle of games like uh even in that match against netherlands he um he tried to control the ball out wide and just let the ball run through his legs and, and it went out for <laughs> throwing and he just looked sheepish and that's that's the shit i remember you know yeah. so if he if he was still playing for one of my teams that i support he would still frustrate me to no end <laughs> but who cares he's not yeah. you know he's not playing for one of my teams now so i hope he does well i hope he, yeah if he wins a golden boot fine fine with me yeah i personally have nothing against him things didn't work out he's a young player and and it is what it is um and after that on sunday we had belgium portugal uh it ended up being one nothing to belgium i i expected th- we had some goals on monday that there was a ton of goals scored this was the match i expected more goals we scored maybe because both teams can attack and they're not the best defensive teams. We saw Portugal give up four to Germany in the group stage. Um, the Belgians can score. Uh, decent defense, but not, not always the strongest, I think, compared to some of the others. But it ended up being a one nothing match. Uh, the defending champs, Portugal, do go out. They are the defending champs. Um, Torgan Hazard had a strike to seal, seal the deal. Uh, I believe it was, let's see, what minute was that? Just double check. 42nd. Yeah, right before halftime. That's what I thought. Um, okay. And it was a nice strike, but you think Patricio should have done better, huh? Yeah. Um, I I mean, Brent warned us about this. You know, he said he's the Portuguese Paulo Lopez. And that, uh, he, what he meant by that was that he's just not aggressive enough uh, mm. in terms of uh, seeing shots coming and in terms of seeing the danger coming at a time. Now, I know he was on his line, so it wasn't a question of rushing out. But he just, he moved one, he was moving one way. Um, and that foot, that step one way turned out to be fatal because he was yep. just caught dead in his tracks when he had to shift his body the other way. Um, I I just felt like, uh, you know, if if it hadn't been conceded in the exact in the exact way that Bren warned me about, I wouldn't think twice about it. But because Bren was specifically worried about this one thing, about him being slow to on the pickup, um, and conceding goals in this way, I just feel like that's you know it's written off Rupert in my mind. Um, and it turns out that maybe all the all the abuse abuse Bren went through on Twitter from uh, uh, you know naysaying Rui Patricio might be for nothing because we're hearing that the Patricio deal might be off. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I'm not convinced, and especially for the, the numbers being touted uh, that rumor uh, rumored to be pushing to spend on him, I'm not convinced at all. Yeah, I prefer Golini if we were to make a move. I'd spend the extra five million on Golini uh, if it comes down to those two. That's just me personally, younger keeper higher upside i think um and you're right um it was a it was i don't want to take anything away from the strike from hazard too but i think you made a good point where he made that one fatal step where if he read it better uh because it was from a pretty long way out it was definitely from outside the 18 it had a bit of swerve on it but yeah some a better keeper maybe makes that save 
Um, something to keep an eye on from this match were the injuries to Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Eden Hazard in this match. We, you know, I don't know if Belgium's playing coy right now or not, but uh, neither one trained today, just a day before the match against Italy. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of lineup they put out there without them. Um, I think it would be Dries Mertens and Yannick Carrasco taking their places, decent players, but that really thins the bench for, for Belgium up front. If those two can't go, we'll see. Um, yeah. But even if at they do go... Very, at least going to be very happy about no, De Bruyne. Yeah. Sure. yeah, De Bruyne is the one that scares me. Uh, maybe in some ways more than Lukaku, just because of the pace and the creativity that set Lukaku up. So we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other big news in this is Ronaldo goes out, uh, 35 years old, probably his last Euro tournament uh he leaves as the all-time leading scorer in euro tournaments i uh, scored five in this tournament i think it was a couple penalties mixed in there no surprise and you know he's got he's got his fair share of penalties for juve too but uh what do you make of his euro legacy maybe the best european player ever at this point uh why not who am i to argue i, I yeah. just can't uh but then again I, I don't remember much about euros at all like we you know we talked about how i wasn't enthusiastic about them so i just yeah. i'm saying i can't really remember a christian christian Ronaldo euro game that sticks in the mind, but um, I, in fact, funny enough, the, the the thing I remember him most for was getting injured in the final of Euro 2016, and then virtually coaching from the sideline because mm-hmm. he was like, you know, he was basically telling players what to do, um, <laughs> and and I mean that in a positive way, you know, yeah. good to, to see that. But that that's what I remember him for the most. I don't really remember a performance for him that like says, okay, that was his tournament, um, like like how you remember Ronaldo for World Cup 2002, you know, yeah. Um, so, sorry, I mean, Brazilian Ronaldo, not Cristiano yep. Um, So, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I mean, I, I think, uh, and I can't go off just as your performance, like you said, I haven't seen too many. I don't watch, like, every Portugal match like I do Italy. Um, I mean, most goals scored ever. He's probably played the most uh, Euro tournaments, I'd imagine, too. I know he passed Platini. He was one behind Platini coming in. Now he's four ahead of him. So, it'd be hard for somebody to break his, his scoring record. Obviously, the tournament has changed. It's a longer format. I mean, Portugal had to play more matches. Um, well, isn't isn't Benzema just behind him? Is he just behind him now? I mean, he scored four himself, so it's probably pretty close. Um, I yeah, I, I think his legacy will be obviously in Portugal. He's a he's a he's a legend, and he he brought yeah. them a trophy, so that's huge. On top of it, that's the one thing Messi lacks in the arguments with Ronaldo is the international success. Um, yeah, yeah, with a better national team in many regards. Um, I don't want to get into the whole Messi Ronaldo debate because we could have you know <laughs> multiple podcasts about that. But, um, you know, I think his legacy is pretty strong. You know, Portugal benefited from the change in tournament format last time because they were a third-place team who got through on three draws. And we're seeing some of these third-place teams get through with not that many uh, points out of the group stage and then making something of it. The Czechs were third in their group, I'm looking right now. Um, Mm -hmm. They got through. Ukraine was third in their group, and they're into the round of eight. And so with Switzerland, yeah. so three of the eight finalists were third place teams in the old format. Those teams are done. Um, yeah. Just like Portugal still, would have been. Still not kind to them though. Cause like, for example, Portugal played uh, their game with two days less rest than Belgium. So you, you do, you do miss out on a few privileges when you, when you finish third. Yeah. Um, and in Portugal's case, it cost them. I mean, mm-hmm. just to be clear outside of the Euro thing, I, I have no doubt that Ronaldo is one of the greatest players ever. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to talk him down in general. Yep. I just, yeah. And I think probably the greatest European player ever when you uh, look at it, because all the players he's, you know, compared to are Messi, Pele, and Maradona for the most part from the, the general conversations you hear, and those are all South American players. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, personality. I, I, would rubs- put, I would put Zidane in there because I saw mm-hmm. him, but, but I know a lot of people disagree. 
Um, I, I don't I don't know where like I don't like com comparing them because like just the areas of football are so different. That's yeah, like the that, that's the whole thing when people compare Pele to Messi or Maradona to Messi. It's it's yeah. like apples to oranges in some regards, which is which is yeah. true. Um, yeah. And we'll go into our next batch so we don't linger too much on Ronaldo since there might be a lot of Ronaldo haters out there. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially we're, now we're, he's played for Juve we'll get in for a trouble while. Either way, because yeah. there'll be Ronaldo lovers too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we get into Spain, who was the the class of Europe about a, a decade ago when they started their run. Their their run started in Euro 2008, uh, World Cup 2010, and then Euro 12, and then they've kind of falling off a bit but here they are playing Croatia uh the finalists from the last World Cup on Monday and this match was was something else I missed a lot of it um I had mentioned to, to Sean and and Brand that uh my wife and I were on babysitting duty our first day of summer break we were watching her little cousin so I didn't catch all this match but I man didn't, I, didn't I was I was keeping track and uh Spain fell behind on an own goal did you see the highlight of the own goal that no. I got through. Oh, oh my! Oh, oh my sorry, goodness. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. the uh, Umo, uh, Simon Unai. Yeah, it was the yeah. pass back Simon. to Simon, and it went right under him, and he just uh, and I, then Croatia I was up. I was I was actually wincing for five minutes. Yeah. I, saw that. I felt yeah. so bad for him. Honestly, I, and it made you wonder if Paul Lopez isn't so bad for his Spanish keeper <laughs> after that. Um, I just felt really bad for him. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know Spain. You know they they were controlling the match. That that goal was kind of a, against the the run of play. You know this Croatia is not the Croatia that made the World Cup final three years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Spain ended up controlling sixty seven percent of possession. Uh, you know they did their thing the way they like to, and then you know they scored in the thirty eighth minute. Pablo Sarabia fifty seventh minute. Aspiliqueta of all people scored, uh, I believe on a, on a header. I think if I remember right. And then Ferran Torres, who was the player I had labeled as a key player. Uh, one of their younger, you know, more dangerous players scoring the 77th. It looked like this match was done and dusted 3-1. And then all of a sudden, Croatia scores in the 85th minute through, through Orsic. And then Mario Pasalic, another Atalanta player, <laughs> scored in the 91st minute to send this match into extra time. And it was pandemonium. I, I watched, I caught the end of the match because once I saw it was going to extra time, I said, you know what, I got I to gotta watch this. I think I had it on the iPad watching the kids or something. But um they, it was 3-3 and it went to extra time after Spain was up 3-1 and you think, wow, Croatia's got them where they want them. Croatia missed a couple good chances early on in extra time and that came back to bite them because in the 100th minute, Morata scored and then, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Mikel Oya Zabal. I, 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 I butchered it. Um, yeah. But, um, that's impersonation. Yeah, he's from Real Sociedad I see here and they got those two goals and Spain ended up winning 5-3. What, what a match. Um, Morata always scores big goals. Yeah. I, I, I know that he gets a ton of uh, criticism, some of it warranted for the, the limitations in his game, but he's always been a big game player. Yeah. But the comeback from Croatia, credit to them for getting those two goals late, um, but it wasn't enough because they, they did have a couple of good chances from I remember. I don't remember exactly who it was, but man, if they could have gotten one of those before the 100th minute, before that Morata goal, we'd be talking about a whole different ending to this match. Uh, yeah. But Spain does get through. Um and they will face the winner of the next match, which was not France. Uh, shocking, <laughs> shocking result. France were the, the heavy favorites, I think, in everybody's book. Uh, I saw this game. This, and I'm, and I'm, happy to, I'm happy to be wrong about everything because this game was that good. <laughs> this game was, was something. I missed about the first 30 minutes, uh, and I tuned in around the 30th minute, and it was worth every minute of watching. Yeah. You know, Switzerland so scored early. They were up one nothing when I turned it on. I was like, wow. And then... There was a penalty kick that 
Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, former Milan great there. Ricardo Rodriguez just yeah. absolutely bundled. I mean, they could have been up 2 nothing in yeah. about the 55th minute, and he missed it. It was saved but it, but by... It, had, he, had he scored that, it would have robbed us of such a good game. Yes. Could you imagine Switzerland defending a 2-0 lead? That is true. That is, that, that's a good point. But Switzerland would have been up 2 nothing. So for all the people who wanted France out, it would have been, yeah. you know, I was like, are you kidding me? France is definitely going to come back now. And they did. And uh, it was uh, Benzema twice in the 57th and 59th minute, a minute and a half, I think, of actual time in between the two goals, put France up 2-1. And you're like, this is it now. There's no way France loses this match. Shouldn't have missed that penalty. (laughs) Shouldn't have missed that penalty because it was literally moments after. And also some some of the best front free play I've seen at international tournament since uh, Rivaldo and the two Ronnies in 2002. Like that that France front free, they were clicking for half an hour only this tournament mm-hmm. but when they did it was like top quality like anyone who could see would concede goals from that, that kind of play yeah um and then it was paul pogba with an absolute stunner in the 75th minute it was a lovely lovely goal and then it's 3-1 and you're like switzerland you, like ricardo rodriguez you really screwed your team because there's yeah. no way you're coming back from 3-1 there's no way good luck going home yeah good luck <laughs> like there's no way you're you, you know and <laughs> Don't you know, uh, Seferovic hit a second time in the 81st minute, and then in the 90th minute again, another 90th minute goal to tie it. Mario uh, Gravanovic, assisted by Granite Jaka. We told you we'd mention Jaka again, and we're going to get into his match in a couple of minutes. But then this game went into extra time, and France, actually, right before extra time, right before the final whistle blew, Kingsley Coleman hit the upright. Uh, mm-hmm. France almost yeah. won it in regulation. Uh, yeah. didn't go in. It was inches away. And then they go to extra time. Nobody broke through an extra time. They go to penalties and they're going shot for shot. Everybody makes their penalties until of all people killing Mbappe. Of all people. Of all people. Of all people. Yeah. Not, not, one, not one single goal this tournament and couldn't even get it in the back of the penalty. Yeah. That, that was shocking. Um, young player still, but after his World Cup exploits, you expected him to be a little more influential and definitely not miss the penalty. Yeah, and, uh, and the thing is that every penalty before that was like superbly taken, mm-hmm. and and what the Swiss did to Loris was was smart as well. It, I don't know if it was deliberate, if I'm reading too much into it, but at first they were um, like trying to wrong foot him, so like they, they would like like the first three penalties they took, they stared at him and wait for him to overcommit, and then put it put it the other direction. And then he, so then he started to like um, he started to say, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the middle, the goal, no matter yeah. what. And they just put it to the side. Yeah. So that was really smart. But um, yeah, every penalty was well placed apart from Mbappe, who just. Yeah. His and that's what it takes. It just takes someone uh, a little slip of nerve or whatever it is to, to, to take a poorly kicked shot. And, you know, sometimes you get three or four poorly kicked penalties in a shootout. This time, you're right. The first nine were superbly taken. Uh, yeah. Guys were burying him into the top corner. No, the keepers weren't close. Um, and the player to highlight, the man of the match from this one, was Jaka. Uh, mm-hmm. The midfielder who seems to be on his way to Rome, 101 touches, assisted the tying goal, uh, three key passes. I'm just going to go through some of his numbers quick here to, to point out what he did well. Um, drew three fouls uh, defensively, two tackles, one, two interceptions, a clearance, a block shot. Um, and then his passing completed 93% of his 87 passes. He attempted eight long balls. All of them were accurate. Attempted two yep. through balls. Both of them were accurate. I mean, a heck of a performance. Three, three of them were beautiful. Yeah, three of them were absolutely beautiful. Um, look, I, I would, I was never more happy to be wrong about a player 
um, for one match because the match was so good and his performance was so good. And you know, some people have reacted to my comments about Jack as if like as if I don't like defensive midfielders. But you know me, Steve. Like if, yeah. if I'm talking up anyone in the Roma team, it's likely they're playing either deep midfield or central defense. That's 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 what those are players I like. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, you know, normally I'd be geared towards signing someone like him, but I'm still sticking to my guns. Like, I don't necessarily feel like Jacka, what I've seen from him as an Arsenal player, um, like moves any kind of like doesn't really like break any like glass ceilings for Roma if he comes mm-hmm. and plays like that. Um, you know, I looked deep, more deeply into his stats about like great passing completion, long balls, all of that. At Arsenal, um, it, it turns out that most of his balls, his long balls uh, completed were out to the left wing. So if he comes and does that at Roma, then we're even more dependent on Leonardo Spezzola, mm-hmm. which is, is it's a game plan, but it's it's a one-way game plan. So I'm not too, like, I, I could see that going very very right or very wrong. You know, that's 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 how I feel about Jacker from the beginning. It's like, it's a 50-50 signing. It's not like win-win. But the thing is, you know, I'm willing to admit, you don't really judge a player based off his performance at prior clubs because you can yeah. come to, to Rome and find new teammates, strike up new relationships, and be a different, you know, mm-hmm. different guy, really. Um, performances like this one against France certainly help, and he deserves full respect for his performance because it was it was that good. It was it's exactly the type of game I love to watch, where uh, you've got Pogba on one side, uh, Jack on the other, and they both got the space to do their own thing. Um, I remember on the assist for his uh, his goal, the, Sw- the Swiss third goal, I thought that he messed it up by being too slow. Um, but it turns out he was just waiting for that right moment to just send the send the through ball in. And he timed it perfectly. Yeah. Um, and it's just it was just really good. But again, like we saw some things that I see uh with the Roma team all the time with Cristante or Diawala. Um we saw him overcommit in this match sometimes to closing Pogba down mm-hmm. uh, and then getting ran through and leaving Pogba too much space to do damage the other end. So I mean, where have you seen that before? Literally, you've seen it in Europa League this season yeah. when we played Manchester United. Yeah. So, so I still feel how I feel about him playing for Roma, but I take nothing away from the match. Like that was a that was a beautiful jack of force there. Yeah, and if and if you're looking at what Roma might see in him, this is a performance to take and say, you know what, I see Mourinho sees certain qualities in him, and and these yeah. qualities could be useful when he's on his game. You know, uh, we'll see. And are you going to run into Paul Pogba every week and say, yeah, you're not. Um, no. You know, and players of Pogo's quality, you're not. I'm trying to think of midfielders in Serie A. Uh, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's really at the Pogba only, level in terms of physicality and ability. Only Milinkovic Savage. Is yeah, the he's the closest. Um, so, you know, and if he can put in a 80% of this performance most weeks for Roma, it's a good deal probably, you know. Oh, I'd be so happy with that. And I think sure. the big thing with him too is he he's the captain of Switzerland. So yeah. he's got the leadership ability. Um, if you're going to get rid of Dzeko, not that he uh, ended up being the captain at the end of last season. There's definitely a leadership void. You know, Pellegrini's growing into it. Mancini's growing into it. Uh, Cristante's definitely emerged as a leader of this side. But there's definitely a uh, – you you have room for some leaders on this team uh, as yeah. the turnover happens. And he could fill some of that void too. And he, he was holding court at, uh, when yeah. extra time began. He was doing the, the, the huddle and, like, mm-hmm. literally giving the team talk. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely – and, and uh, those are the kind of players Mourinho is going to like in his dressing room. So uh, moving on to England and Germany, this was one that I made sure I watched. I'm sure you did too there in the UK. Coming home, it's coming home, it's coming. <laughs> um, England, you know, we'll talk about the, the, the quarterfinals in a minute, but England got 
a favorable draw in this um, bracket, I'd say, compared to some, you know, the top half of the bracket included, you know, and not that all the teams performed, but Italy, Netherlands, no, the Dutch were on the other side. So Italy, Belgium, Portugal, Spain, Croatia, and France all ended up on the top half of the bracket. England was down there with the Dutch who crashed out and then playing Germany head to head. And, you know, if you beat Germany, you're probably thinking England's got a pretty good shot to go to Wembley in the final and possibly bring it home as you're singing over there, Sean. I'm sure you're hearing a lot of that over there in London. Um, two nothing England win. It took them a while to score, um, you know, but they, they felt pretty be, comfortable, sorry. I think, for the most part. I just want to say, it has to be said, though, playing Germany in round 16 is a poor reward for winning a group, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a pretty good okay. meme. Uh, it was a, I think it was a, a meme of one of the, the fans from a different country but they it's been used a lot uh the guy like he's in like e- ecstasy in one picture and the next minute he's in despair and it's like winning yeah. a group and he's like jumping around and the next one it's like realizing you probably have to play germany yeah. and it's like that is a that is a crap reward for winning your yeah. group when you see some of the other matches when you see like uh denmark against wales you wales. know like yeah exactly. um and sweden against ukraine so yeah. definitely that's part of the having those third place teams go through you end up with some of those yeah. matches Sorry um, for interrupting you. Yeah, ahead. no problem. But I, I thought England felt pretty comfortable most of the match. Would you agree? Um, uh, honestly, uh, maybe it's just me speaking as a English fan of old, but you're never comfortable facing Germany. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the history is always there. Yeah, I haven't beaten them in 55 years in a major tournament. So, oh wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, you're never comfortable against them. But but you're right. Uh, yeah, there, there was. It like I think England went in with the confidence of having kept a clean sheet the whole tournament, and then you also have Harry Maguire coming back in the team, and, and mm-hmm. he was dominant. Back yeah, there. he man of the match on who scored over here. I'm looking seven point yeah. six. He was not playing around whatsoever. He he like he charged Germany players. He took the ball off them. Um, yeah, so you got to be confident when you've got a back line that, that keeps as many clean sheets as mm-hmm. England have so far. Um, but then again, there was that uh, there was the Kai Havertz goal. Uh, sorry, shot um, goal that could have easily gone in but mm-hmm. smacked off the crossbar there was thomas muller who somehow fluffed that open goal chance well not mm-hmm. open goal but still you back him to score any day so they got lucky as well yeah but um yeah they were on top for most of it and the thing that i would worry about a little bit if i was an england supporter um yeah. is is the amount of shots they get they didn't create a lot of shots they only created five total shots in the match uh, mm. and, and it took them a while to score uh, when you're not yeah. getting a lot of shots it takes time to score and they finally broke Germany down in the 75th minute I think the play was started by Grealish to Shaw to Sterling if I remember correctly because I think Grealish was involved in both goals well, it was actually started by Sterling and Sterling. then went then to Grealish yeah. and went to Grealish yeah um, and then Grealish assisted Kane on the second one and maybe Harry Kane gets going after that goal because there was a couple matches in the group stage where he was pretty invisible for as good of a striker as he is um, but yeah, my that, question that think there yeah, were two things we were both wrong about. We both backed Kane and Mbappe to go on a duel yeah. for the Golden Boot. Yeah, geez. And because I thought we could have had maybe an England-France final, and then maybe you're yeah. looking at possibly the two of them raking in the goals. Uh, it was not to be. Uh, yeah. Geez, we should have picked Patrick Schick at this point. But <laughs> uh, my question to you, and, I, and you, you know, you're in England, so you see a lot of the British media, and maybe you see more on TV than, than I would here. How does Jack Grealish not start for this team? Um, well, it's, it's Gareth Southgate is the answer. <laughs> he, he just he really likes Sterling. He likes his um his combat combativeness in, in his own words. He likes the fact that he fights. 
um, and then you put who you've got on the left side. I mean, I think for this game specifically, uh, Saka started over Greece because there was they wanted to counter Germany. Mm. And Germany had a lack of pace in the back line, mm. so uh, they wanted to to get Germany out of their own half and then hit them on the break with Saka and, Saka and Sterling. Um, I I would honestly I have no complaints with starting Saka because he's the guy who arguably has impressed me the most this tournament. I know that there have been other guys as well, but his, his play at his age is is eye opening. Um, we could, this has already been a long enough episode as it is, so I won't go into depth on it. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it another time. But he he really has been good enough that I'm not. I I would have started him myself. Uh, Sterling, I was a bit apprehensive because. Even in this game, before he, he started off that move for the goal, um, he's he's always got his head down and, and never plays it into space. Mm. He, he always tries to take on players, even when that's a difficult job. But he runs into into dead ends. And then the first time he didn't do it and actually played the ball into space to Grealish, it was a goal. So I think that's their main problem. Like I, I agree with you that Sterling over Grealish is questionable. But then again, Sterling is a top scorer right now, so you can't drop him. Yeah. Um, and then I think the second question mark I have over England, having seen them play this tournament, never seen them play before that, is Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in midfield, very inexperienced midfield. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was where they'd let Germany kind of back into the game with the, with Tony Cruz and like you know having their, having their way in midfield there. So I'm not too convinced by their, their deep midfield duo. Um, uh, it could turn out just to be like another semi-final or final and, and turn out to be experience for these players. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm looking. I was just looking down the England roster, and a lot of young players, especially on the bench, a lot of 19, 20, 21, especially in those attacking positions, midfield positions. Um, interesting. I mean, Sterling's pretty much a veteran at 26 on this side. Um, yep. And he's got three goals, so he could be the guy to catch Schick if England go far enough, uh, ironically enough. But yeah, I think England might have to create some more chances. And I mean, they get a pretty good draw with Ukraine next. Um, mm. And speaking of you, and before we get into Ukraine, I, I guess it's the end of an era for Germany. Joachim Lowe is done. Uh, very disappointing last two tournaments for him. Yeah, but it's been like that before. They they yeah. have um they have World Cup 2026 coming up, if I'm not mistaken, in Germany. Oh, um, again. And, okay. Yeah, and it, it was like that 20 years ago with World Cup 2006. Yeah. Um, Germany made a surprise final in 2002 when they weren't that fancy. They only had Michael Ballack and really no one else. Um, and then people were talking about it being the death of Germany. And then in 2006, they were talking about Germany hosting and how they they just had to not put on a shameful performance as hosts yeah and they didn't uh they got you know all the way to being defeated by Italy. Finals, yeah yeah um so it's you know it's been like this before and germany will make it through it yeah and i mean for me as a football fan i started following you know international football probably i'd say 2002 world cup was the first one i really remember watching and they were finalists and then 2006 you know they're in the semis and italy barely beats them and they've been a power the whole time you know they it yeah. almost every tournament up until world cup 18 they were like a semi-finalist in every tournament i watched so yeah. Uh, I'm sure they'll be back. They want the most populous country in Europe, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. More than France. So they, they've got a boatload of talent always. Yeah. Second um, biggest landmass behind France, I think. So yeah. So but probably most populous. So yeah. Um, yeah. They they got they got a talent pool to come back. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And obviously that's not counting Russia. Uh, when I say most populous, Russia. Oh, yeah. I kind of always forget about Russia because they're kind of a lot of it's in Asia. But um, you know, the last match. Speaking of Russia, where their neighbors Ukraine. Um, played Sweden. Ukraine was a team I had kind of fancied as a dark horse. I know Sean uh, tweeted at me, uh, DM me saying, you know what, I guess yeah. your dark horse is still alive. And I, I was disappointed yeah. by them in the group stage because I had them winning the group with 
the Dutch actually as a dark horse because so, such high expectations on your boys yeah, team. Yeah, and <laughs> they get bailed out as a third place team, I guess, and they get through. But uh, just a quick mention of another uh, disappointment was Poland for me uh, in the group stage. Uh, just while well, I'm on my I, dark horses, I thought they'd be much better. I didn't see any of their games. So I, I didn't either, but they had one point. Jeez. Um, yeah, my, my, my dark horses Turkey got destroyed. So yeah, there were a lot of people's dark horses too, I feel yeah. like, and they were absolutely disgraceful. Um, but back to Ukraine, um, Ukraine, Sweden ended up going the distance. Uh, and when I say distance, I mean 120 minutes. Um, Ukraine jumped out to lead. I missed most of this match. I caught just the extra time. I know Sean said you listened to some of this. Um, Zinchenko scored in the 27th, uh, Forsberg answered in the 43rd Forsberg from everything I've read had a, a very nice tournament for the Swiss, uh, Swedes. I didn't really watch much of them. Um, and then it went into extra time where Marcus Danielson got a straight red card and a deserved straight red card. Uh, he went in hard on somebody. Uh, I think it was Sig- Sigankov, uh, who had come in the game recently and he oh, got him right below the knee. Uh, deserve straight red. So then Ukraine had the advantage. They're looking for a goal, looking for a goal to try to avoid penalties. And they finally got the goal in the 121st minute. Artem uh, Dovbik, excuse my pronunciation of Ukrainian names, uh, got the winner. Uh, and here's Ukraine now into the quarterfinals uh, with yeah, Andrei Shevchenko as the manager. Yeah. Another, another thing you were right about. You're right about England and Ukraine. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if I was a betting man and I picked the winners of every group, I wouldn't have done great in the uh, group stage, but true. they're hanging around. So yeah. um, so we'll take another quick commercial break because I know this is one of our longer episodes. We've got a lot to talk about here. So we'll take a quick commercial break and then we'll go through a quick Italy talk and then just maybe a quick, maybe a quarterfinal predictions. All right, so Sean, let's talk about Italy for uh, a brief time. I know we've been running long here, but I think it's important to talk about Italy on a Serie A podcast. So uh, new clean sheet record uh, in terms of minutes played. Um, more than 11 matches without conceding a goal before Austria finally hit him in extra time. Uh, they extend their unbeaten record to 31 straight matches. Breaks a, a long-standing uh, record from the 30s back when they won those two World Cups. Uh, we won't get into I had what went wrong in the second half. We won't really get into that because we talked about the match. But uh, do you think Mancini played the right starting 11 in the match against Austria? Considering players uh, like Berardi and Verratti and those guys got the start. I mean, in the end, the way it played out, yeah, because the, the subs were fresh and they made a difference. I, I, but I think maybe you'd want to bring those subs on earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's a debate about the midfield chemistry, but I honestly haven't seen enough Italy games to know how well the alternatives do well. So uh, I, I can't say anything. I'd have to ask you how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought that I was fine with the starting 11. I also would have played Verratti. I know there's a big Verratti Locatelli debate going in because Locatelli had the two goal performance in the Switzerland match. Uh, Verratti was coming off an injury and was actually man of the match caliber performance against Wales. Uh, his numbers were, were very impressive when I did the Sinners and Saints for that match. Um, so I thought that was the right call. I thought Berardi had been playing well. Um, so I didn't have a problem with him starting over Chiesa. I know Chiesa provides a little more of a spark, uh, but I was fine with it. You know, Chiesa had a pretty decent game against against the Welsh too in the last match when a lot of the, the reserves played. Uh, yeah. So I was fine with it, but I, I agree. I thought the subs should have come sooner, uh, especially the Chiesa sub. I was begging for Chiesa around the 60th minute. It took to like the 70-something minutes to bring him in, uh, yeah. close to the 80th, I think. Um, if, there, if, if there's any one thing where I feel differently to Roberto Mancini, it's starting Ciro Mobile over Andre Bellotti mm. um, because I, I just feel like it's very obvious that Immobile's uh, what he's used to doing for Lazio is is very different. Uh, cut off, 
yeah, in the ACV team, like he's got Insigne and Spinazzola, so he's got taking up that left side space, which he he likes to run into for Lazio. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now you've got him trying to like attack down the middle on the right, and he's he's you know, he's taking these long shots from outside the box that nearly go in. Um, maybe that's why Mancini likes him because he feels like he's he's got a goal in it either way. Um, but I personally would just play um, a guy who's used to doing what you're asking the team to do, which is Andre Bellotti. He's, he's got yeah. no problem running down that right side. So I, I would do that instead. Yeah. Um, and that, that could be up for debate in the next match. We'll see what Mancini goes. I think he still goes with the Immobile just because he's been the, the horse he's been riding all along. Um, but I, I think Belotti is certainly could be an option earlier. Belotti and Chiesa didn't come until the 84th minute. Those are the subs I thought should have happened earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Locatelli and Piscina came in off the bench. Piscina scored a goal. Um, what a rise for him. I mean, he's a guy who wasn't even on the yeah. initial roster. He's only on because Stefano Sensi, as usual, was injured. Um, yeah. and now he scored two big goals for Italy. Uh, yeah. he he had uh, the other impressive stat. Let me go back to the stats, but I think it was dribbles completed. He was very impressive on the ball in the match. He was not afraid to take people on off the bench. And he actually I was, I was, had, I was slightly worried for him for his goal celebration. Where he did that whole <laughs> like, neck, diving net thing. I was like, please yeah. don't injure yourself. That <laughs> reminds me of the old FIFA games when I used to play with my friends like 15 years ago or so. One of the old FIFAs, that was one of the celebrations. If you hit some combination on the stick after you like scored and my buddy Nick would do that all the time. And I actually texted yeah. him after the match was like, well, Pacina did your favorite FIFA celebration from like <laughs> way back in the day, but it was uh, not one you see all the time, <laughs> but yeah, he was impressive on the ball too. He had uh, four successful dribbles in, you know, like half a match when you consider it was a 120 minute match. So pretty impressive. Um, yeah. So well, he's, I, I guess it, against a tired Austria team, I'd expect nothing less to be honest yeah. with you. Like, that's why I'm putting it on the pitch, but yeah, yeah. Take, take no credit away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So Italy's midfield really starting to look really deep going forward. Um, besides just this tournament and besides the starters of, you know, Verratti, um, uh, and Jorginho, you have Locatelli, you have Piscina, uh, not to mention, uh, Pellegrini who's out injured this tournament as uh, Agnolo, who could be considered a midfielder. There's a lot of, a lot of talent there. You know, the, we don't even hear about Lorenzo Tonali anymore after this season, he was considered like, the, the next big thing of Italian football and that midfield is so deep. He's kind of lost in the conversation I was, too. I honestly never really convinced by Sandro tonight because yeah. he, he just, he, I mean, I've said this about Jaka and I've been proven wrong, but Tonali is really like eye-openingly slow. Mm. Um, yeah. He's just like so slow that I, I just don't understand how he's even made it. to, to I know it sounds bad. Like, obviously, tonight I can play better football than me. So, you know, like, you know, I don't, please don't think that I think he's like not good enough or anything like that. But just like, I don't understand. Like, I, I just think, like, how do you come up with enough teammates to, to protect the guy from getting yeah. that slow? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, because Jorginho's not the, the the fastest player, but he sticks his foot in on challenges up. Jorginho's a guy who I think gets criticized a lot. I and playing for Chelsea, I'm sure you see more of it in England, but he, he gets a lot of garbage, doesn't he, in England for not yeah, being like Ebolo yeah. Conte? He was he was written off his first season. Yeah. Like, people said he's a waste of money and he won't make it in the Premier League. And he, he slowly turned it around. Like mm-hmm. once people understood what to expect of his game, yeah, and the kind of support that he needs around them, then you see the best of Jorginho. Yeah, so, yeah, and he's kind of like the untouchable, I think, in this Italy lineup because he makes everything yeah. click in the midfield. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't kind of matter who's on his flanks. I've been a bit disappointed with Barella, who I'm a big fan of, Nicolo Barella, but uh, he's been the most disappointing one in the midfield for me so far. He hasn't yeah, had a couple of good too. matches in a row now. 
Uh, me um, too. I, I was very disappointed with his attitude um, in this last game against Austria because he he spent the whole first half hour, uh, sorry, half the first hour, sorry, really complaining to the ref more than actually mm-hmm. playing football. Uh, and then finally the ref booked him. Yeah. And, and then and then Barilla actually like pulled his socks up and started running up the other end and being that spare man to try and break through Austria's defense. Like we know yeah. he can. Yeah. You know. So that was an example of great refereeing for me because. Yeah, the ref just wasn't having it, and finding like his decisions actually led to a better game and better mm-hmm. performances from from guys that I want to see good performances from. Yeah, so I'm you know, I'm very happy with very happy with the refereeing in, in general from the, in this tournament. It's very good. Yeah, um, and I think Verratti starting over Locatelli ended up being the right call. You know, he's coming off an injury, so it's no surprise he kind of wore out around the 60th minute when he was subbed in the 66. But he had a good match. I mean, he completed 95.7 percent of his passes, touched the ball 94 times in 66 minutes, four key passes. Um, I think he can be very influential for, for Italy against Belgium. I know sometimes people say him and Jorginho sometimes get a little similar with the, the way they like to move the ball, but I, I think uh, he, him and Jorginho have to start. Um, yeah, he's got, he's got the experience. He's got the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people say, like you said, that he doesn't really click with the rest of the midfield. But um, you know, without Verratti, I, like I said before, I question whether Italy have that real top-line quality. Yeah. They certainly have the squad depth. But when it comes to like the top, top, like top match level quality, uh, I mean, I mean, you're looking at Verratti as really one of the only world-class players yeah. in the squad. So, And the shame of it with Verratti as a Serie A fan is he's been at PSG for so long. He never played in Serie A. He only played with Pescada that one year in Serie B that we kind of have been gypped of watching him on a week-to-week basis uh, because I personally don't watch PSG very much uh, unless they're in the Champions League. So I, I miss a lot of his performances and, you know, uh, if you're just looking at like live score and seeing who scored and, you know, the quick little stats like that, you see like yellow card here, yellow card there, but it's more because he's like a pugnacious, smaller guy. He gets in there, mixes it up, but man, he can really, he can really ball in the midfield. Yeah. He's, he's, he can do it in all four, all four phases of the game. So, um, although then again, I'm not sure if I've ever seen him like really become a goal scorer. No, but, he doesn't really score. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think he has to start over Locatelli. Would you agree uh, against Belgium? Uh, it's harsh on Locatelli because he's, you know, he's, he's turned up when he's been asked mm-hmm. himself, but, uh, I agree with you. I'd go, yeah. I'd go with Verratti. Yeah. Yeah. And the one who hasn't played well is Barella, but I can't imagine you play Locatelli over him. Cause then you, then you're too slow in the midfield. I think you're too similar in the way Jorginho and, and, uh, Verratti play with Locatelli. I, I think it's too much of like the same. Yeah. But I just, I just hope that Barella comes to a better understanding mm-hmm. in terms of what what's expected of him and his teammates. So I don't I don't know if w- which side doesn't get it, which side uh, you know is where the miscommunication is coming from. But like you said, the first hour of the last game, I was very disappointed in how um, passive and uh, defensive Barella was compared to the protagonist we yeah. know he can be. So. Yeah, and I called him Italy's best outfield player uh, coming into the tournament, so I was a bit disappointed. But a player I have not been disappointed in is Leonardo Spinazzola. Uh, two man of the match performances and three starts. Uh, I guess he can play in a back back four, huh, Sean? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I know you um, said you didn't worry about him in a back four, but I think the general okay. like uh, mindset was he he excels in the back three because he he can just run the wing. But wow, he's been yeah. playing outstanding. Has to be said though, it's a back four where the right back stays back, like yes. you said, like you said mm-hmm. they would. So you know he he kind of has like this like he has less concerns than conventional back four yeah um uh i 
I was, you know, going along with the momentum of, of like his performance in his tournament, um, but I still, um, how can I word this if I don't sound like a party pooper? I, I still hadn't seen something that I, I didn't, ex- I, that was unexpected from Spinazzola before. Mm. Like I saw the same strengths and the same uh, drawbacks. Yeah. Um, in even his best performances until this Austria game mm-hmm. where finally, like I'm going inside a game and I'm thinking like, okay, Spinazzola's got momentum on the side. There's been another match in two games. Um, you know, like, you know, I, I want to think positively. I want to think towards Roma next season, what's going to win their matches next season. And, you know, Spinazzola doing well can only be good for us. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and then he went into the Austria game. And finally, I saw something that was like the breakthrough moment, which I, I hope continues into next season, which is, okay, it came in extra time, which is a little bit late. But, um, you know, Austria started packing them that Italy's left flank trying to like basically, you know, uh, prevents Spinazzola from playing um, and it worked for the second mm-hmm. half because he was get, he was actually losing the ball like three times in a row or something um, but he reacted in a way that I don't often see Spinazzola react which is the extra time he looked up while he was on the ball played a, an excellent pass out to Chiesa that led to the first goal so yeah. you know you, you, you see the opponent trying to um, exploit your weaknesses and uh, pack you in and instead, you end up exploiting theirs by hitting them on the weak side. And I just, yeah. you know, I love to see that, and I hope to see more of that. That that was, that was a genuine big game moment from him uh, that yeah. I haven't seen too often. But I'd love to see it more often. And he also played the ball that opened up the play on the second goal too. I think he either played it out to Insigne or somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he started from deep in that corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crucial performance from him for Italy, and I'm, I'm I'm excited to see him tomorrow against Belgium. See if he can continue his form. And yeah. we talked about Mourinho's system, and we had said during our Mourinho like hiring podcast, you know, if could he be the Mike Cohn, but on the opposite flank of what Mike Cohn mm-hmm. was on Inter, and if they have a a fullback who's willing to play the way Giovanni Di Lorenzo played for Italy in the Austria match, because he was willing to sit back and chose his spots when he went forward. Um, including a gut, a gut busting run late in the match. I don't know where he had the legs left for it. God bless him. Um, he had a very fine game too, but if you, if you can get Rick Karsdorp to play in a similar way, which might not be ideal because Karsdorp likes to attack too, um, mm. or have a more defensive right back, he, you know, Spinazzola has that carte blanche to push when he can. And he, you know, the, he doesn't neglect his defensive duties because there was a play where he tracked back into the box and took a ball off Arnautovic or somebody that's probably saved a, a really good goal scoring chance. Uh, yeah. for Austria too so uh, very excited for that and I think all Roma fans should be um, yeah, I, I, have, I have doubts of whether, whether Karlsdorp can be that defensive right back next season yeah. but someone someone else uh, on our forum did mention that you have the option of playing Spinazzola as a, as a left winger mm-hmm. and then playing a defensive left back behind him like like Calif already is mm-hmm. um, and then you can afford to have Karlsdorp do what you know go up and down on the right flank instead yeah i don't know how viable that is or if that's even going to bring out the best of spinazzola but it's it's a it's a worthy idea yeah um so i'm sure you know that there are options there to figure it out yeah he's matured a lot as a footballer which is which is good for roma because we need those kind yeah. of guys who are hitting their prime because we don't have a ton yeah. of them um a yeah. couple quick things sean and then we'll make some quick predictions and endings i know we're running along we don't want our our listeners to to, to get tired of us here but a yeah. um, couple quick things so chiesa I mean, he's explosive off the bench. Do you start him against Belgium because he's been so good? Or do you save him as that kind of weapon off the bench that can hit you maybe a little bit earlier than the 85th minute like he came in, but uh, is that spark against tired legs because he can be explosive? Uh, I, normally, I'd say I'd, I'd save him, but I'm not sure against Belgium if you have that luxury. Yeah. You know? like if, if you end up down the scoreline in the first half, then yeah. maybe you should just start 
Yeah, yeah I, I'm thinking he starts this one because Berardi was also pretty poor. My biggest yeah. disappointment is after Chiesa, you don't really have a game-breaking winger. For all the wingers I thought Italy had in their arsenal, uh, I think Politano might have been a better option than Bernardeschi as the fourth one to carry because he can be more of an impact guy off the bench. Uh, because mm-hmm. if you don't start, if you start Chiesa and Berardi's off the bench, Berardi's good, but he's not so explosive like Chiesa is. And yeah. Bernardeschi, I mean, he hasn't played a lot of football for Juve this year. So that that's one risk you run. But I think you're right. I think you have to go at Belgium with him early uh, yeah. and, and try to open the game up. Um, you know, the defense, there'll be some debate. I think Chiellini and Bonucci start just because that's those are Mancini's guys. They've been they're the leaders of this team from a locker room standpoint. Uh, yeah. Chiellini did the presser today from what I saw. So he's that's almost a guaranteed start, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bonucci. No, been I, the... I do feel uh, I'm not one to talk up a Jalabi, but I do feel he deserves minor, you know, some props for the coming up with the assist for his yeah. second goal. Yeah, and he actually had a better passing game than Bonucci numbers wise. Uh, when I was doing the Sinners okay. and Saints, I was looking at the numbers. He had a pretty impressive match, but I, I just think me at Mancini goes with his two veterans. Uh, Bastoni yeah. deserves a shout for his performance in the third group stage match. Kept Gareth Bale pretty, pretty in check. Um, so you know. He's definitely one for the future. I think once we get the turnover after maybe, maybe not this tournament, maybe Chiellini goes, maybe Bonucci hangs around for the World Cup, uh, Bastoni, and then if maybe hopefully our boy Gianluca Mancini can grow into that role, who knows? Um, because Bastoni looks like the real deal. Um, real quick, Sean, have your expectations for Italy change after the four matches you've seen so far and the way things have played well, out in this tournament for other teams? Well, I didn't have any expectations because, like I was honest, I haven't seen mm-hmm. Italy play. Um, but having seen them play, I, I think they can. I th- actually, you know, I, th- I think they met expectations. I think they should have gone out of the group stage, uh, given who they were playing and how poorly some other teams played. Uh, beyond that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out the quarterfinals. I wouldn't be surprised if they went through the semis. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm being on the fence about it, but this is how I feel. Um, yeah, I, I certainly in this country, I can say that amongst the professional commentators on the biggest networks. They fancy Italy as favourites. So, you know, it's not just Azuri fans that, that are feeling confident. The people have been wild away, blown away by Italy's attitude to this whole tournament. Yeah. Um, I say coming in, they had to at least make the quarterfinals to be a reasonable success. They've done that. I, I said uh, the semis would be a, a, a big success for them with the you know lack of tournament experience they have. But now with France out, because I was expecting France to be the team you had to face in the semis, if they can get by Belgium tomorrow, because I think that's their biggest hurdle left before the final, I, mm-hmm. I think they have to beat Spain or Switzerland. I, I would fancy them against Spain or Switzerland from what I've seen from those sides so far. I know Spain put up a boatload of goals their last couple of matches, but they started out very slowly in this tournament. And I think they are uh, not the Spain of old. I think Italy could play with them. Uh, mm-hmm. So it could be interesting because if Italy makes the final, you, you never know. Um, so I'm not expecting them to no, win at this point, no. but... Yeah, <laughs> I think an Italy-England final is what I would love to see. I would love to see it. I think it'd be a lot of fun in Wembley. Um, yeah. No offense, I, I, I don't mind the English, but um, at, they get a lot of vitriol from uh, Italy fans on Twitter. I don't mind the English, honestly. If Italy goes out, I would almost probably root for England at this point. Um, I might I, get I some don't vitriol. mind the vitriol, but I, yeah. I just, I'm surprised that people are so defensive. Like, I, I, yeah. think, I, know, I know Italian football is kind of like falling upon dark times, but yeah. it's not that bad. You have to be like so bitter towards the Premier League. Yeah, I don't watch the Premier League, so I, I like I didn't even know who Declan Rice was before this. Tournament, <laughs> to be like, that's, that's me being truthful. And this is coming from an Englishman who lives in London. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, 
yeah, fine. If if you need to vent that way, vent vent away. But England will still be England, and yeah. you know, if they win, I'll be happy with them. And I'll ask you quick, as we're I know we're running long, but do you think England's perspective of English players is a bit inflated, and like their talent levels a bit inflated? Um, and because it's the Premier League, like some of the prices I see, like Grealish's price tag to go to City and stuff, like they're huge numbers. Um, it's well, yes, but it comes with the territory of mm-hmm. like it, it's still like I always say the best players are always overrated, and yep. that doesn't stop them from being the best players. Yeah, right. Um, it just it just comes with the territory. Like when you're that good, there's always going to be people that, that talk you up that much more and too much more. Um, England, but you know, even when England had like a average team, like in you know '96 when it's coming home first became a song, um, and even before then, the expectation going into every tournament was always that England this will be the one where they they do magic and mm-hmm. they win, right? So it's not necessarily like um, overconfidence or or arrogance in in the individual quality of the team, but it's just overconfidence in terms of. The, the English spirit of, of mm. approaching the game. Like okay. there's this the idea that England will come up, they'll they'll fight like bulldogs and that will get the result, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as we know, you actually need to have talent and, yeah. and execution, you know? And uh, unfortunately with England teams before of old, they haven't had that uh, tournament mentality. Um, you know, they, uh, someone said like uh, the draw to the final is favorable for, for England, but guess what? Along the way, they could meet. Oh no, they can't meet them anymore because Sweden got knocked out by Ukraine. Yeah, but had Sweden gone through the next round, I, England don't have a history of beating Sweden at major mm-hmm. tournaments. They have a history yeah. of losing to them. So that's just the kind of um, weak mentality that England have in tournaments. But since World Cup 2018, that's been changing under Southgate, and he deserves, he deserves credit for that. Yeah. So Sean, let's let's end it here uh, with a just we'll go quick predictions for the quarterfinals and then we could always discuss them afterwards uh in our next episode uh so the first one on friday um noontime here in the u.s uh six o'clock central european spain against switzerland how do you see that one playing out i'm, I'm gonna go for more jack of heroics because i've i've been so wrong about him so far now i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on the bag wagon just before, <laughs> before it's too late and uh that might be the kiss of death and then he'll go out <laughs> I, I'd I'm love to see Switzerland. Yeah, I'd love to see Switzerland win. I think Spain probably ends up winning. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Swiss, you can't count them out after they beat France. They didn't look great against Italy, so who knows what their deal is. Um, yeah. I'm probably going to have to go Spain. Um, I don't see them putting up five goals like they did and you know, the last match. But it uh, okay. should be a good match. Uh, when you get down to the quarters, you should get tighter. Um, so we were split there, one for Spain, one for Switzerland. And yeah. my, my heart would say Switzerland, but I, I think my gut says Spain. Um, I'm, I'm going to be the bad guy on this next one. You can be the good guy. <laughs> so Italy, Belgium, big match, probably the most looked forward to match of this whole round. When you look at name brand teams um, playing each other, Belgium, number one ranked team coming in, uh, despite France winning the last World Cup. Uh, three o'clock Eastern, uh, nine o'clock Central European. Sean, go ahead. I know you kind of hinted at it earlier. You're going with. I'll be, I'll be the bad guy. I think the adventure's over quarterfinals is where Italy go out Belgium win scoreline uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I, I can't see Belgium keeping a clean sheet though because so I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 3-2 Belgium okay so you're going for goals I'm going to go Italy I think it I think um, I think m- maybe more I'm hoping but I'm hoping last match was a wake-up call for Italy because they look so good in the group stage and they do have mm-hmm talent Mancini's been really good with organizing his side and I think the team has the right mentality for the most part 
Um, and I think it dip, a lot depends on De Bruyne and Hazard's health. If they aren't fully fit, I think Italy has an even better chance of advancing because maybe there's a little less tooth to that Belgium attack. I'm going to go Italy 2-1. I think it's going to be hard to keep Lukaku off the score sheet completely or keep the mm-hmm. team off the score sheet. Maybe he sets someone up even. Uh, but I'm going to go Italy 2-1. I'm going to go optimistic here uh, and say we're looking at Italy, Spain in the, the final four, which would be a, a nice... Nice treat. Then again, I'm already having an out-of-body experience watching myself predict a team score free past Donnarumma, which is yeah. crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll stick with it. Yeah, that's, uh, three goals is more than they've given up uh, in the last like 12 matches combined. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what am um, I smoking? And then <laughs> we go to Saturday. The matches are a little less attractive on paper, but hey, it's the quarterfinals team's got here for a reason. We have the Czechs against Denmark. Mm. I don't know how to call this one, but I got I got a feeling Denmark will win it. Yeah, I agree. I think Denmark's going to win it. I think they're they have a little more quality than the Czechs. Um, and I, I think they're you know I think they're playing for Christian Eriksen at this point. I don't want to say they're the yeah. Cinderella team of destiny because uh, I don't see them winning the whole thing. But I, I I do think they get by the Czechs. I think this uh, the Czechs beating the Dutch played into their favor a bit. Yeah, I feel like I'm disrespecting the Czechs by saying that, but I just I don't see what I mean other than Czech and he's been like. Equal parts, good and bad. So yeah, I uh, I guess if they play uh, Balak again, like they did the last match, but they, they've actually kept on the bench before that, which is surprising because he's really good. Um, if they play him, then they have something else to have another threat. But I see Denmark winning. Yeah, I'm going to go Denmark too. Hey, we might be back here like Monday or something, r- wrapping up this round, talking about Patrick Schick with the, with the brace or something, <laughs> and, and they're in the finals. And his 18 uh, million moves to buy music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, uh, this, this one hits close to home for you. Uh, England against Ukraine. England finally leave the island um, and head to the mainland uh, to play in Rome, to play in Rome of all places. Uh, against Ukraine, Ukraine was my dark horse to, to get out of the group stage and win the group. I don't have them beating England. I think England wins this one. Um, but I think it, it could be pretty tight because like I like we had mentioned earlier, England's not creating a lot of chances, not scoring a whole ton of goals. This could be like a, a one nothing, 2 nothing, or 2-1 kind of game, I think. But I, I would go England. Yeah, I'm going to go for England. I mean, all you need to win a tournament is clean sheets. Yeah. You know, you, you know, we all exceed goals. You win, win it somehow. Um, so I'm going for England. Uh, I, trust me, I would have been a lot less confident had it been versus Sweden. Because they just have a hoodoo of yeah, England. Agreed. But, uh, yeah, but this is Ukraine, and I think that will win. But full full respect to Ukraine, actually, Jacob, because they they played some really. Their final third play has been beautiful this tournament. Yeah, and Ruslan Malinovsky, another Atalanta player yeah. uh, involved yeah. in, in in the Ukraine setup. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think if they played Sweden, we might have seen like Robin Olsen put on a Superman cape or something with the <laughs> between those two nations. Um, hopefully, this round lives up to what the round of sixteen gave us because we had four extra time games. One of them went to penalties. Um, a lot of goals on Monday in those two matches. So it, we'll see. I, I don't know uh, if I had to pick one to maybe go to extra time, Italy, Belgium could be the one because those teams are pretty high quality could be uh, a tight one. And then maybe it goes to extra time, like one, one, but we'll see. Um, mm. And then Sean, anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up? Uh, let's go Spinazzola. Yeah. He keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, Spinazzola is the one to keep an eye on at this point. Uh, Mourinho said himself he's rooting for Spinazzola and Cristante, right? I think. Yep. So uh, we'll leave you guys here. It was a l- pretty long episode. Uh, so thanks for listening. I know it's been a while since Sean and I were here. A lot of talk to talk about here in the Euros and with Roma. And hopefully next time we, we sit down, whether it's early next week or whatever it is, we have a, a little more Roma Mercato talk to talk about. So we'll leave you there with episode 49. Thanks for listening.